Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Actually, it is Moose Miller sitting in tonight for Esme Murphy. Joining you from Tampa, Florida this evening where we've... uh, been down here to try to deal with uh, the place that we have in Jupiter, Florida, which is on the east coast of Florida, just north of West Palm Beach. Had to get that all buttoned up and ready for Hurricane Irma. And it was really interesting to watch the reaction of Floridians relative to hurricane preparation this time around. Because I was here in 2004 and 2005 for some really spectacular hurricane activity the likes of which i don't think we've seen in quite a while and those were some crazy years but you know it's been a while and all the coverage of harvey and the flooding really got people serious about dealing with this thing and maybe you've seen some of the coverage on tv and i can tell you i drove uh, we're in Tampa th- for the weekend here trying to help some friends out that that sold their condo here in Tampa, right on Tampa Bay. And I was just worried sick that they were going to get hit and wiped out and, you know, you'd have nothing to sell and close on at the end of the month. But, you know, knock on wood, everything worked out for the uh, the greater good and we're just helping them move this weekend. But as I was driving over from the East coast to the West coast side of Florida, I cut across the central part of the state. And if you're a snowbird, you kind of, you, you know, Florida, you're probably, you know, typical Midwestern snowbird lives on the Gulf coast side of Florida. Everybody comes down and, and sticks to 75 and stays on that side of Florida. I don't know why. And then the East coasters all settle on the East coast side of Florida. It's like the fifth borough, or six borough of New York <laughs> around uh, South Florida, you know, in, uh, in Boca Raton. Oh, my God. And I got my dog named Camille and Sal's playing my John. But that, that's, that's that side of Florida. Here on the Gulf Coast side, it, it's a lot of Midwesterners. And uh, there's a lot of that great Midwestern spirit of people that pull together and help their friends out and, I think you saw a lot of that, too, in the Houston area and parts of Louisiana. You know, that that was so heartening to see the Cajun Navy come rolling in here uh, from New Orleans and part of uh, greater Louisiana with their boats and, and just help people out in a time of just utter catastrophe. But we'll talk a little bit more about that later this evening here on WCCO. We've got a really interesting show lined up for you tonight. I want to thank Susan Blanche, who I don't know how she does it. She's juggling a lot of things, and Jonathan Lowe uh, right there working behind the scenes here at WCCO. He does a phenomenal job as well. We'll be talking coming up here at 708 with Dr. John Huber. We've talked with him before. He's a uh, clinical forensic psychologist. The subject is, is technology killing love? How have smartphones impacted our 
ability to develop romantic relationships. And, you know, if you're somebody that's, you know, my age, you're going, what? Well, pay attention to your millennial kids or grandkids and the younger generation coming up right now. They just don't get out and interact as much. I mean, if you talk to a kid in the summertime months here, a lot of them, sadly, are spending so much time at home in their room with their computer or their phone. And that's it. And, and they have all the social interna- interaction they need, I guess, based on that. But it's it's something that I've, I've said a lot about this over the years that I, I really wonder what we're going to discover with smartphones and social media apps and, and what's the, what, what has that done to us as human beings? But we'll talk a little bit more about that at uh, 708. Also, Joe Tamburino, I love talking with this guy. Our criminal defense attorney from Kaplan and Tamburino is going to join us at 735 as we take a look at some of the bigger legal cases of the week, including Beth Freeman, who uh, killed Officer, Officer Matthews and Michelle Carter convicted of aiding her boyfriend's suicide a lot of cases to to get to on that end so we'll talk about that coming up here including the uh verdict that just came down in the milwaukee area on the slender man case that was a pretty serious deal where the one of the two girls her trial just came to a conclusion here and the jury said we're not going to send you to jail because we do think you have a mental illness so they're sending it to her to a mental facility we'll talk a little bit more about that at 735 and dave schultz the uh, professor of poli sci from hamlin is going to join us i love talking with this guy we got so much to talk about uh what's going on in washington with uh, the president and health care and uh now he's you know dealing with the democrats and and uh, nancy and chuck so but when we come back mark kolda is going to join us Uh, Vice President of Public Affairs for the Insurance Federation of Minnesota, because I want to get to some answers on what you need to know about flood insurance, because we've had our share of floods here in Minnesota over the years. It's not just something that happened in Houston with 52 inches of rain, and there's a lot of misperceptions about that. So we'll do that coming up here next on WCCO. Moose Miller on WCCO. Coming to you from Tampa, Florida tonight, where we're still kind of dealing with the aftermath of Hurricane Irma for those of us that have places uh, in Florida. And uh, we're helping some friends out here in Tampa. I live on the East Coast side of Florida uh, as I spend uh, time from time to time down here. And we're joined by Mark Calda, the Vice President of Public Affairs for the Insurance Federation of Minnesota. We thought it'd be a good idea to just talk about flood insurance and you know this is going to be an issue mark my words relative to all the claims that come out of houston and whatnot and louisiana uh, re-examining flood insurance from yes. a federal protection too, standpoint yeah mark how are you i'm very good very good uh, jupiter island in the jupiter inlet lighthouse is my favorite lighthouse i love that place yeah that's why down we moved you. uh down there and, and found yep. a place i love that i'm Thank you for saying that. People probably don't realize, but Jupiter Island is where Tiger Woods lives. Uh, yes. Steven Spielberg has a place there, Perry Como. And if people go down there, there's uh, somebody, a beautiful lighthouse to visit. It's a great place. Yeah, we just took a tour there the other night yeah. uh, where they had the moonlight tour oh, yeah. uh, up on the lighthouse. So let's talk about flood insurance from the standpoint yes. of what you think uh, 
Hurricane Harvey may be doing to the national flood insurance program. And and people might not have a, a understanding that, you know, I think that only goes to $250,000. So Yes, well, $250,000 for the dwelling and another $100,000 for the content. So, you know, one of the flaws in the national flood insurance program is that it doesn't cover everything. So people sometimes are a little reluctant because not only is the premium potentially pretty high, but the program itself has some limitations on what it covers, and it does have a hard cap. The most protection you can get is $250,000 for the dwelling and $100,000 for the contents. So if you've got a home that's worth more than $350,000, you're going to be exposed regardless, even if you do buy the policy. Yeah, and, and I guess that's what I was getting to, because uh, you know you've seen the homes in, in Jupiter or parts yeah. of Houston, and, and yeah. whatnot. we've got some beautiful homes here in Minnesota yep. that uh, you know three, four, five, six, seven hundred thousand dollars is yep. very common. Yes, and depending on where they are, you know, one of the big problems we see in the program is really there's just a lack of people buying the coverage. And the, the, the biggest reason why is this misconception, and it's something that really just dogs us even in the insurance industry because we hear this myth being repeated even by insurance agents. So the, there's this big misconception, and the misconception is that you can't buy flood insurance unless you live in the floodplain, the special hazard zone, and that's just yeah. absolutely wrong. The only requirement for people to be able to buy flood insurance is that your community either your, you know, your county or your township or your city, they have to participate in the flood insurance program. And as long as they participate, then anybody who lives in that municipality can buy flood insurance. It's kind of important because we know that about a third of all flood insurance claims come from people who do not live in the high hazard area. So if, yeah. if a third of the claims are coming from people who aren't even in the floodplain, that really means that really everybody needs to consider it if you live in a community that participates. Well, and, you know, $350,000, that's still a sizable amount of money. And I think there's a lot of homeowners that, you know, let's say your home is, you know, $400,000, mm-hmm. uh, $500,000, you know, to put a claim in for $150,000, $200,000 worth of damage right. yep. still covers a lot on that property. And, and why wouldn't you want to consider that, especially if you live near a, a creek that maybe, you know, it's never gotten close to your house. But, you know, and I've had some homes over the years where I'm going, man, you know, I really was, you know, gambling there because a 500-year or 1,000-year rain event could have soaked my home. Well, and they're happy to, you know, ask the people of Cedar Rapids, Iowa, because they had three of those in about 15 years. And, I mean, it can happen anywhere. You know, the thing I like to tell people is, even if you don't live in the flood zone, the flood plain, let's just say you have a two-inch rainfall, which that's not uncommon in Minnesota. I, I recommend people walk around your house in a two-inch rainfall and just look at the water. If there's water ponding up in places that maybe it shouldn't, or if you see water kind of drifting toward your home, then imagine what it would be like if it was a 10-inch rainfall instead of a two-inch rainfall, because mm, in yeah. Minnesota we're not immune to 10-inch rainfalls. We've had many 10-inch rainfalls down in uh, just a few weeks ago, down in uh, near Redwood Falls, they had about eight or nine inches of rain. And so that, that yeah. happens around Minnesota several times a year. So there are many communities that potentially have that, you know, potentially could be hit by a 10 inch rainfall. And if you live in a house where maybe the drainage doesn't look good or you live by a stream or that's never been above its banks, well, just imagine what it would be like is if your community is now the one that gets hit by the 10 inch rainfall, you could have flooding that you never even expected. 
So it's important well, or for let's, people to let's, just consider yeah. it. Talk to the, your insurance agent. Uh, see if you're in a community that participates. You can actually go on FEMA's website. They've got a website where you can look up if, you're, if your city participates. They can put you in touch with an agent. Yeah. Your own homeowner's insurance agent sometimes can help put you in touch with the program because all flood insurance is sold by FEMA. Even sometimes, though, you can get it through your own agent who gives you a referral through that FEMA program. And it's not uh, very difficult to get. It's very easy to underwrite because all the underwriting is standardized. So all you have to determine is where you live in the floodplain and how much coverage you want. You know, you can the, the $250,000 and $100,000 is full coverage, but FEMA allows you to buy, you know, variants of that. You can buy half coverage, 10% coverage. You know, you can set the dollar amount that you want to protect yourself with and maybe share some of that risk yourself and lower the premium. And so then mm-hmm. flood insurance really isn't that expensive. Well, and it, think about it from this standpoint. If you live on a like a cul-de-sac or a street where, you know, you've got large areas of paved concrete or yep. asphalt, yep. and you get an 8, 10-inch rain, and, and it comes down the hill yep. at your domicile at the base of it, where do you think that water is going to go? It's, yep, some of it's, it's going to end up in your basement. resistance, which might be yeah. into your house. Yeah. So it's something and, definitely and, and, to consider, and that you know that brings up the point of how accurate are the flood maps, and that sometimes becomes a yep. little bit of a problem as well, because you might be in a zone that you think is pretty safe, but if there's been a lot of improvement in your neighborhood where there has now been put up a lot of concrete or landscaping that maybe is not amenable to accepting a lot of runoff, um, if you're in a, in a new area like that, the flood maps may not be quite up to date, and you might be falsely thinking that you're safer because you're in zone B and not in zone A. But what happens yeah. if you know there's been a lot of improvement? You could have a heavy rainfall and still get flooded, even though you weren't expecting it. So that's why it's a great idea to look at the map, contact your agent, talk about the possibilities. You know, now flood insurance sometimes can be expensive. So if you're looking for you know a maximum value policy that covers the max and you live in the special flood hazard zone, the flood plain, uh, I've seen premiums as high as $5,000. Now, that's not, that's not everybody's premium. I've seen premiums as low as $350. So it's, there's a wide range of premiums there, just depending on where you live and how much coverage you want. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, you know, what's it going to cost to re-sheetrock your basement, do mold mitigation, that kind of stuff, yep. um, figure out what that costs. You right, know, and, and you have and to look at it if you want. You know, if you want some insurance backup to help you, there is yeah. one. So the standard homeowner's policy does not cover flood claims, but there's one exception to that. You can actually buy something on your homeowner's policy called the backup of sewer and drain endorsement. It's I about had that. Forty dollars a year. It provides about ten thousand dollars in coverage if the water comes up through your sewer or let's say your sump pump fails because of a power outage or whatever, if you get water that way and you have that rider on your homeowner's policy, then you are covered. But other than that, in in almost every circumstance, if the water was the typical overland flooding, uh, you're not going to be covered under your standard homeowner's insurance policy. And that's one of the problems in Texas they found is, there was a lot of people who thought, well, I have homeowner's insurance, aren't I covered? And uh, until this happens, they find out they're not. And it's really, you know, unfortunate that they have to learn that way, and everybody has to learn the hard way. But this is a good example of, hey, let's take that action now before we have the big storm to figure out if we need these protections. Well, I can tell you, uh, I have a cousin that lives in Kingwood, uh, Houston mm-hmm. area, and that's a real nice area north yes. of Houston. And there's a lot of homes that got six feet of water that came through there. And these are homes that are $700,000 yep. plus. 
Yep. And, you know, I don't know what they're going to do in these right, instances. Right, because if you don't have flood, because, if you don't, you know, homeowner's insurance won't cover it. If you don't have flood insurance, you really, your only recourse is just depending on charity that people will donate to, you know, disaster victims and whatever the government might give out. What we've seen in the past is the government's, you know, usually it's a very small amount of grant money. Usually they're $10,000 or less. That's not going to help somebody who's got a $700,000 home. That's a total loss. But then you're looking at things like, you know, uh, small business administration loans. So now you have to pay mm-hmm. that back. That's not you know free money that you can take a, a, a tax loss for casualty losses, but that's limited to ten percent of the loss. So you're still not really going to be made whole. It's going to be very difficult for a lot of these people to recover because they didn't get the the coverage that they should have had. What FEMA has said is that only about twenty percent of people in Texas had flood insurance, which is really low. But the numbers in Minnesota are even more dreadful. Here we are, a state where you know we're not immune to ten-inch rainfalls. We have 10,000 lakes. We have the headwaters of the Mississippi River. We have lots of water exposure here, and only 9,500 people bought flood insurance policies in a state with a million households. So we're talking a fraction of 1% of Minnesotans have flood insurance, and that's really way too low. People really need to wake up and say, you know, these kind of rain events have been happening more often, and they could happen here, they could happen to me, and so I should probably talk to my insurance agent about trying to protect my investment. Sure. Well, I'm thinking of like the Minnesota River, you know, communities like Carver and Chaska and Shakopee. You know, I remember some pretty decent little floods that came through there in the 90s and the early 2000s. Yes. There were, well, there, and there was a 10 inch rainfall. I believe it was either Bloomington or Burnsville 10 or 15 years ago that caused, you know, some pretty good flooding. I live in Maple Grove. And last year we had an eight inch rainfall in Maple Grove. Luckily, it, there was very little damage, but. Uh, you know, it could happen anywhere, and people need to be prepared for that. And one of the best is to think about, uh, should I have in additional insurance coverage to help protect my home? Sure. And and like you said, you can stagger that to where, you know, you don't need to go to the full 250. Why not Correct. make it 50 grand? Right. Because 50 it, grand exactly. will buy a lot of sheetrock and a lot of mold mitigation. 10000 on contents, and, you know, the premium might only be $300, and then it's really not that bad. The average homeowner's insurance premium in Minnesota is about $1,100, so... You know, adding an extra $300 is not that much. So, you know, you can always yeah. tailor that coverage to whatever you feel comfortable with, uh, thinking that maybe I won't have a total loss, but if I do have some water damage, hey, here's at least some protection. You know, some people might want to buy the full coverage, but at least there's uh, plenty of options and it's readily available as long as you live in a community that participates in the flood insurance program. And we know, according to FEMA, about 85% of Minnesota communities do participate. So for most Minnesotans, it's readily available. You just have to go on their website or call your insurance agent. It's pretty easy to do. Well, yeah, and as I've been kind of following and and talking to a lot of people uh, in Houston, Louisiana, and here in Florida, and when we're going to see a lot of those claims that are going to start to come in rolling in this week out of the Naples area and points south, um, it's just catastrophic. And this is, you know, for people in Minnesota, they're going, okay, well, how does that affect me? Well, ultimately it it does on your insurance rate. And here's kind of why, and this is kind of the dirty little little secret about the flood insurance program. They have, these premiums have not been high enough to, you know, to cover all of the claims. So the flood insurance program has been running at a loss for a number of years. It's currently about $25 billion in debt to the the government who who has, the federal government has bailed it out. And at some point, uh, the program is going to have to kind of right the ship a little bit and charge premiums that are commensurate with the risk. So the people in Florida are probably going to have to pay higher rates than people in places that are a little bit less risky to floods. 
but that's, you know, the Congress tried to fix it a few years ago, but once the premiums came out, people balked at that, and so Congress kind of rolled back the premium increases back to where they were, and so the, the program is still kind of on shaky ground right now. But hopefully these two disasters will start the, the, you know, the ball rolling in terms of reauthorizing the flood insurance program yeah. in a way that's going to keep it around for a while. Because if they don't fix it, then well, that might, program might have to go away, and then the taxpayers may be on the hook to kind of bail some of these people out. Well, that's the thing, and that's the discussion that we should be having in Washington and, you know, and throughout the country, really, yeah. because these events have kind of woken us up and reminded a lot of people that, hey, you need to really reconsider this because, you know, forget about the whole climate change, global warming, political argument crap. Yes. The fact is we're getting significantly heavier, higher, bigger rainfall events. And And that has affected more than just the flood insurance program, Moose. To be honest, I mean, since 1998, this is something that the Insurance Federation has been tracking kind of closely uh, since 1998, we have had many years where we've had uh, over a billion dollars in losses. In fact, in 1998, we had $1.5 billion in storm-related losses, mostly hail and tornado storms. And that $1.5 billion was more than the previous 40 years combined. So we had, 40, we had decades of stability. And all of a sudden, since 1998, we have had multiple years where we've had billion-dollar losses. Uh, including including just this year alone, the June 11th storm that hit the Northwest Twin Cities is probably going to be a billion dollar storm. It will be the second most expensive storm wow. in state history, and so that's just another year where we've had a billion dollar plus loss. And we've seen it in our mm-hmm. premiums since 1998 in Minnesota. The average homeowners and pre- the average homeowners insurance premiums have quadrupled. So we've gone up almost 400%. We went from $350 a year, and now we're almost $1,200 a year. And it's going to continue to increase as long as we continue to see these storms. And it's just a fact of the matter. Since 98, we've sure. had more storms. They've been bigger storms. They've been more intense. They've been more frequent. They're, they're more damaging. We've seen you know more hailstorms, stronger winds. You know, we don't know why. We're not the ones that can say why, but we certainly know the numbers. We're numbers people, and we can certainly say, look, the claims have just been going off the chart, and we're going to continue to pay higher premiums until we figure this out. Yep. Mark, where can somebody go online to, you know, maybe get some answers to yep. questions they might have well, based on, on what we've been kicking around here? has a website to navigate. It's called floodsmart.gov. Floodsmart.gov. It, and it's got a, a really simple layout. You could, it's got some qu- simple questions. So if you want to know how can I get the insurance, you can click on the link. Does my community participate in the flood insurance program? You can click on the link. What are the coverages? There's lots of questions that can be answered just by going to floodsmart.gov, which is run by FEMA, and it can at least start you down the path of figuring out if it's right for you. Excellent. Great resource and a real pleasure visiting with you. It's uh you know, one of these things that, unfortunately, tragedy has to kind of wake us up to, yes. you know, and re-examining we, we some things. we see it happen that, in other places, but it's just a reminder that, you know, you want to answer these questions in your mind before the tragedy happens. And, you know, you hate to see it happen, but at the same time, it's a wake-up call to all of us to say, we might want to make these discussions happen now so that we're prepared. Sure. Mark Kolda, Vice President, Public Affairs Insurance Federation of Minnesota. Thanks so much for joining us here. You're on welcome. WCCR. Thank you very much for having me on, Moose. It's been a real pleasure. It is Moose Miller tonight sitting in for Esme Murphy on 830 WCCO. We'll check some weather coming your way next.
Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Saturday night in CCO land, Moose Miller. In for Esme Murphy here on WCCO. 71 beautiful degrees. A little overcast tonight. Jonathan Lowe operating the controls at Studio Central. We're joining you tonight from Tampa, Florida, uh, from the beautiful residence of uh, Laura Parker, who, by the way, works in Minneapolis, St. Paul. And she has this place down here. And she was so kind as to uh, offer this up. As we're helping some friends out uh, in the Tampa area, we were over in the Jupiter side, my wife and I, uh, earlier in the week, buttoning up our place last week. I've lost track of time now, getting ready for Hurricane Irma. And as I've watched uh, some of the Tampa TV coverage here, oh my goodness, the, the folks that are still without power, Duke Energy is really getting raked over the coals down here and uh, the amount of flooding damage, and they've got rivers now that are flooding over their banks because all that water had to go somewhere, and you probably saw the flooding that was happening in the Jacksonville area. That was just crazy. Downtown Jacksonville, the St. John's River flooded to levels that they haven't seen since the, what was it, 1840s or 1860s? Wow. That was really something to see. There's a lot of people that are still trying to uh, find their way out of that mess. But one of the things that we were also dealing with, aside from hurricanes and storm damage, was the Equifax data breach. So my wife and I, on Monday, looked in to see whether or not we were affected, and sure enough, we were Part of the 143, let's just say 150 million Americans affected by Equifax. And did you see where several of the executives have now left the company, the higher ups, including, I think, one, like their information technology officer, something along those lines. I said this earlier in the week when I was sitting in for John Hines. People need to start going to jail on this stuff. When you've got executives that sold their company stock at least a month ahead of when this announcement was made, and they're trying to make the claim that, oh, we, we didn't know about the data breach. We were just selling the stock. Really? Smell that? I don't, I, that doesn't smell right to me. People need to go to jail. There's got to be consequences. I'd love to find out, you know, in email chains, whether or not people did know or not, or, you know, certain meetings with people that may have shared information. Because, boy, they were sure taking care of themselves ahead of the rest of us. They wanted to make sure that they could get that maximum stock price Somebody needs to go to jail. You know, we, we've gotten away from that. All because we probably have let the lobbyists in Washington run the system for decade after decade now. 
and they're going to make sure that they're going to legalize what should have been illegal activity. You know, I grew up in the Midwest, married a farmer's daughter. I mean, I, I'm, I'm pretty clear on what's right and wrong, and that just looks plain wrong to me. Somebody needs to go to jail. Examples have to be made. Consequences have to be met. You know, we should be rising up. You should be calling your congressmen and women, your senators, and saying, hey, we're just, we're sick of this. Where are we on this thing? Why isn't uh, some of the Equifax hierarchy going to go to jail? The ones that sold the stock ahead of this huge data breach, which now we're discovering apparently it came down to a flaw in a tool designed to build web applications that they admitted they were aware of this security flaw a full two months before the company says hackers first gained access to its data. Data like your name, your social security number, your birth date, your address, driver's license numbers. I believe I even thought I heard credit card numbers. A cybersecurity arm of the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, U.S. CERT, identified and disclosed these flaws back in March. The company's security department was aware of this vulnerability at the time and took efforts to identify and patch any vulnerable systems. Really? Equifax said it discovered the data breach on July 29th. It said it waited until it observed additional suspicious activity a day later to take the affected web application offline. On August 2nd, Equifax contacted Mandiant, a professional cybersecurity firm. I've actually talked with people from that operation to help them assess what data had been compromised. And with the help from Mandiant, Equifax determined that a series of breaches had occurred from May 13th through July 30th. Security experts are pretty much in agreement here. Equifax should have moved faster. There's really no excuse, whether it's a difficult patch or not, for an organization of that size with the amount of data that's at risk. John Hendren, director of strategy at the security firm UpGuard, said, when you're a big organization like that, it's a systemic failure of process, and the blame goes straight to the top. So you're telling me that the people that sold their stock didn't know about any of this stuff a month or so ahead of when the rest of us found out that we were compromised? Really? What have I been saying? Somebody needs to go to jail. When we start doing that, I'll bet those patches and things like that get done real quick. 
I don't know about you, but I went through an odyssey on Monday trying to get my Equifax TransUnion and Experian accounts frozen. And Equifax, why didn't you just come out and say, guess what? We've frozen everyone's credit. We've frozen everyone's account. Yes, that would have screwed up people that had a mortgage in process. Yes, that would have messed up people that were trying to get a car loan. But you know what? For the greater good, and if everybody's stuff had been frozen, only the people that needed to have it unlocked for that specific tight window to do that mortgage deal or that car loan, don't you think that would have been a smaller volume of traffic going in there trying to get stuff shut down? And for TransUnion and Experian to charge us 10 bucks, which I paid, but maybe I'll get my 10 bucks back. Maybe it's time that we reconsider the Social Security number. Is that really a good idea? I mean, I'm old enough to remember that was how you looked up your, your grade in college. Remember that? They put your social security number up on that bulletin board. Your name wasn't with it, but you'd look up your social. Oh, I got a B minus on the final. Great. But is that really the best way to be secure today? Wouldn't maybe, oh, I don't know some biometric security thing be better? Facial recognition, your iris, fingerprints like on a smartphone. There's got to be a better way than what we're doing now. It's Moose Miller in tonight for Esme Murphy here on WCCO. Still got a lot of show to get to, and we'll do that coming up here in the next hour. Dr. John Huber is going to join us, a clinical forensic psychologist, as we look at technology and love and relationships. And, and do, do people go out as much as they used to? Are they actually meeting face-to-face? Or is it all becoming online? Is that a good thing? Also, Joe Tamburino, criminal defense attorney from Kaplan and Tamburino, will join us. Talk about some of the bigger cases out there that have been recently in the news. Did you see the Slenderman verdict came in? Remember the 12-year-old girls in 2014 in a suburb of Milwaukee, Wisconsin? The two girls lured the one girl out to the woods where they stabbed her 19 times. The one girl did at the encouragement of the other. They left her for dead, and somehow she crawled out to the bike path, and she's alive, survived. It's a miracle, but the two girls, her classmates, people she thought were her friends, one of them, the jury just came back with the verdict on her Friday night, last night saying, yeah, we're, we're not going to send you to jail. We do think you were mentally ill. So you're going to have to go to some type of mental treatment facility. And the other girl, her trial's coming up in October. And we can talk a little bit about that with Mr. Tamburino coming up at 735 this evening.
Moose Miller in tonight for Esme Murphy here on 830 WCCO. Moose Miller in tonight for Esme Murphy here on WCCO. One thing I, I didn't mention on this whole Equifax thing, one of the ways that you can get your credit frozen is that <laughs> if, if you don't do it online, they suggest that, you know, because we actually would, would keep calling and we would finally get a hold of a human being who really could do nothing for us except uh, point out, well, you can send us a letter and include in the letter your social security number and uh, your credit card number and your expiration date and the little three-digit code, and then we'll charge you $10 based on that information uh, to freeze your account. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to drop a letter in the mail to Equifax, which you know would have been probably addressed to the Department of you know Fraud or whatever or freezing. Yeah, I want to do that because who knows who could pick that up along the chain of custody. And next thing you know, I'm, I've just given them my social security number, my name, my birth date, all of that as per requested by sending that letter in. Not a smart idea. Just crazy. We've got to come up with a better way, right? We'll check in with CBS World and National News and a check in with the WCCO Local Newsroom coming up here next. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.